Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey listeners, just a heads up. This episode contains sensitive material about cancer. I think it was within... 10 minutes of my diagnosis that I felt lonelier than I have in my whole life because I'm locked in this body that I can't crawl out of mm. and I thought like oh my gosh this thing is trying to kill me this is Kate Bowler after her stage 4 cancer diagnosis Kate felt like she was stuck behind a glass wall just watching her friends and family on one side of the wall everyone was living life they were moving forward in ways Kate could no longer imagine doing herself. She felt despair. Lots of it. But she refused to let it consume her. Man, I threw so many parties. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> and like trips and experiences and like the intensity of those connections is because it's almost like you've got to turn the volume up on that in yeah. order to hear it on the other side because it's so isolating. Because cancer is so eclipsing. I think, frankly, has nothing to do with who I really am, and yet is defining almost everything. I'm Deborah Jianli, and this is Kaleidoscope. Today, I'm chatting with Kate Bowler. She's a history professor at Duke Divinity School and a scholar of the prosperity gospel. What's that, you ask? Well, Kate breaks it down as a belief system that says, God gives health and wealth to those with the right kind of faith. She personally grappled with that theology at 35 when she received a stage 4 cancer diagnosis. Kate's experiences led her to write a memoir called Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved. We're going to talk about how Kate's diagnosis changed everything. Friendship, romance, and faith. Somehow these all became more alive and colorful. Kate has so many stories of the wild, wonderful things her friends and loved ones did for her during this time. We start the interview with a story about an unusual risk one friend took just to put a smile on Kate's face. I went into surgery and everyone was afraid. I mean, everyone thought I wasn't going to make it through the surgery and it was taking too long and everyone was so afraid and... I just remember how scared I was when they put the mask on and I'm like breathing into it, trying not to hyperventilate. And when you wake up from a surgery, you don't, you're not really sure where you are and also what your body feels like because it doesn't totally feel like yours. Hmm. I mean, I've had a couple surgeries before that that weren't nearly that serious, but you know, you wake up like, it's like you wake up into a different world and 
So I like opened my eyes and I could hear the beeping. And then I was so groggy and I couldn't totally move my, you know, arms and legs because they're trying to keep everything really still. And no one was in the room. And I looked down and I realized that I was wearing a slap bracelet. Like, like from the like <laughs> early 90s. Bracelet? You yes, know what I, mean? I remember those. And it was like neon. It was like neon green and it had pink writing. And all it said was fierce. And then I started like thinking it through. That meant that somebody had like found their way around security and nursing staff. And that meant Ah. to me for sure that they had a clerical collar because 90% of my friends are pastors in some way. (laughs) So like I'm sure they wore their clerical collar and like stood over my unconscious body (laughs) and just like (laughs) slapped it on with the force required to make that bracelet work. And then was like, and you need this. (laughs) And like it was clearly my friend Corey, who's like part-time pastor, part-time comedian, Uh, I thought, honestly, it was the greatest thing that anyone has ever given me. It so perfectly humanized me in a Uh, moment where nothing was my own. uh, That is so amazing. Did you guys ever talk about that? Yeah, I was like, where did you get that, you beautiful monster? Yeah, she's so funny. I I need her to reenact it for me, though, because I just love that I know that she had to dodge some nurses. That's amazing. And I remember you mentioning, like, you started traveling and like throwing parties. What was yeah. that about? Yeah. I mean, my first <laughs> chemo treatment, I'll never, it's funny. I, I only remembered this recently because my nurse, we keep in touch and she's like, oh, the first time I met you, you were planning a party. <laughs> I thought, oh, that's true. <laughs> yeah. So um, we threw a huge Christmas album cover party, which sounds stupid, but it was awesome because like everybody had to come dressed as a certain Christmas album cover. And Tobin and I, we like to do couples covers because it's more obvious. So uh, he was Kenny G and I was Dolly Parton, but it was Dolly Parton dressed as Mrs. Claus, Kenny G dressed as Mr. Claus. <laughs> the costumes took forever to put together. And the most awkward part was it had this like five foot wreath we had to build in order to accommodate our faces poking through the oh middle. But we- you, a, you built a Oh, wreath. I did it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I committed. I so committed. That's amazing. Um, I wanted to shift gears. I I know you've been interviewed a lot, and you've written about how your diagnosis revealed ways that you had unknowingly bought into the prosperity gospel, which you're a scholar in. But beyond that, I'm curious about what this experience has taught you about your faith and how your faith may have changed. Yeah, because honestly, I do think my faith felt before like it felt like certainty. It felt like a checklist. Mm-hmm. And I and I know I'm, I'm like, you, you can like hear my little evangelicalism in this, in which I clearly was like, <laughs> clearly had some kind of like hope that even though I wasn't earning my way toward God, that like suddenly my good behavior was definitely like putting me on the, the super highway of good Christian. Like there's no way I could have like earned my way toward the kind of presence and love I experienced. And so I'm mostly Mm. just trying to let that lesson sink in. I think like some of it is just trying to figure out like what peace and joy feel like if it's just very relaxed. Do you have a story or like a moment that really highlights or reflects that relaxed faith, just kind of like relaxing in the arms of the divine? They're always medical moments for me. In the healthcare, for instance, you have to be like super hyper agency, right? You have to like yell at the doctor. <laughs> like, you know, you just have to like be like on it all the time. And then there'll be a second where you actually have to let go. Like it's the moment before surgery 
and like the back of my gown is open and it's cold and like someone's putting some kind of like anesthetic sort of cream and then they're going to put a big fat needle in my spine mm. and I, and I am absolutely terrified and in that moment where I have to let go agency is not what defines me that's my most mm. intense like spiritual moments where I'm like okay god I am walking toward the edge here you had better be here so that's mm. when I pray for like peace and a sense of being held because everything around me is beeping machines yeah and it's frigid and it's terrifying and i'm surrounded by strangers if i'm in the mri machine that's when i most picture god's presence and when i'm being wheeled into surgery that's when it's real for me what does that presence feel like hmm. it just feels like love yeah it doesn't really feel like i'm doing anything it just feels mm-hmm. like being held and not trying so hard anymore. When I think about your prosperity gospel scholarship, it reminds me of all the toxic ideas that faith communities perpetuate, mm. ideas of who's accepted as they are and who needs to leave parts of themselves at the door. Mm. And I see how it drives a lot of people away from faith. Yeah. And so I was wondering, was there a moment that made you want to give up on your faith? Hmm. So I didn't feel so much like I was going to give up my faith, but I did Mm -hmm. feel like I was so insanely pissed off that the framework Mm. made no logical sense to me. Like, for instance, I was at an Easter service last year, and there was this sermon where the guy, and he knew I was, like, dying that year. Like, I was not doing well. Mm. And the pastor gave this sermon about how... God gave up his son on the cross, and I guess we all have to just do that, and that's just how we have to be as Christians. And I thought, you are insane if you think that I am supposed to cheerfully, with a whistle on my lips, give up my son just because God gave up his. That Honestly, I thought it was the stupidest and most insulting sermon I had ever heard. Like, yes, that is the business of the divine. Thank you so much. Like, yes, that is self-emptying love. But, like, do not ask a young mom to be cheerful about the idea that her son would no longer have a mother. And, like, Mm. it's moments like that where I felt like, I would say rage. (laughs) And so that felt less like giving up my faith and more like... If that is the test, I am choosing to fail it. Yeah. See you later. I'm going to instead pick one in which God makes accommodations, not just for our weaknesses, but the things that we love, like the good, beautiful things that have been given to us. So, yeah. So instead, I just kind of work backwards from like the character of God and just decide that some of the rest is mystery. So is God good? Yeah. Yeah. Does God love me? Yeah. Yeah. Is God asking me to be cheerful about my possible demise? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I love that framework because, I don't know, it just allows everyone to have their own experience with the divine instead of, mm-hmm. like, universalizing one person's particular yeah. experience or interpretation for all of humanity. <laughs> like, yeah, that yeah, just yeah. feels yeah. so limiting. I mean, I do really like the theologians. I know it's, like, super nerdy, but, like, it gives us a person, like, And the part that I can get in Jesus' suffering is that, like, my suffering is not an affront to God. And, like, guess Mm. what? I don't have to explain why this is happening because 
You know, it's just allowed to be a horrible surprise. Yeah. And it's astounding how there are some people who just really can't handle that. No, 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 (laughs) no, they are not into it. They are not into it. I think, I mean, and this is just like from a historical perspective, I think this does come out of the fundamentalist modernist controversy that part of the response to modernity from evangelicalism was to double down certainty. Mm -hmm. And so like, if we don't have pure, scientifically demonstrable epistemological certainty, then everything else will crumble. And my experience is that's just not true. Right. And how much has that framework just inflicted suffering on people's lives yeah. because yeah because they can't because we can't live with certainty none of us can like yeah yeah it's just we were never guaranteed anything except that we would all perish <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I know it's all very grim it is hard though i think for any religious system to not want to offer its its participants any benefits like yeah. join us it's mostly suffering and it'll also take up a lot of your time on the weekends i know i love that i mean the prosperity gospel is great in terms of like yeah. the promises i'm like i'll take all of that stuff yeah i'll take money and fancy cars and give me those things yeah and like the other bit too is it's so good at like explaining the character of god like for someone like me who like the things i know like know in the marrow of my bones it's that like people were made with such love and care so when you like see somebody and you like i don't know you're like in the grocery store and you're helping someone with someone and you finally like look in your face and you realize like oh my gosh this is another person with entirely separate existence from mine like you realize how basically fundamentally good that people are made and like with such care and yeah and it does make me want to like reach outside of myself more i think that's just kind of what suffering has done is it just sort of made me realize like we are all so fragile and we deserve more gentleness than certainty often offers us yeah i love the way you put that because it's like how much bigger and just more beautiful can our lives be when we're connected to each other yeah no totally and i i mean i totally believe in evil right i think that people are probably pretty evil and i've experienced a little bit of that but like and structures are evil and you know blah blah but like Mm -hmm. i do i am like kind of just blown away though about how just how like beautiful everyone is and I know it's also dumb but like but I'm like such a pile of mush lately like cancer just made me this giant pile of like (laughs) fragile mush and and partly it's because I need everyone so much like people fed me for a whole year and like I didn't ask for that and it is unbelievable how much like friendship and presence and just like walking outside together like the most basic stuff is the stuff I need it's the Mm. suggestions for what terrible tv to watch it's like encouraging (laughs) text with the emoji and it's like a really good I don't know a really good like edamame um, (laughs) at the end of a long day with a glass of wine oh so true so true the basic ingredients of a healthy friendship thanks for keeping it real Kate All right, we're going to take a short break, but stick around. Coming up, wild romance, self-care tips, and more from the wonderful mind of Kate Bowler. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Welcome back to Kaleidoscope. We'll get back to my interview with Kate in a minute, but first, a quick backstory. I met Kate in the desert. Now, that's the dramatic, biblical version of the story I like to tell, because the boring version is we met at a networking event. Womp womp. (laughs) But it wasn't what you'd expect, because at this event, people actually connected. For example, Kate and I took this long walk in the desert and talked endlessly about loneliness and love. And I knew I wanted to explore this more with her on Kaleidoscope. So here we are, doing just that. Here's Kate. I think it was within... 10 minutes of my diagnosis that I felt lonelier than I have in my whole life because I'm locked in this body that I can't crawl out of Mm. and I thought like oh my gosh this thing is trying to kill me and now it's it's entirely defining who I am so it felt like I was behind glass and everyone was on the other side and I was just watching them live this untouched life and that I was Mm. just totally isolated part of why I ended up just loving parties man I threw so many parties <laughs> and like <laughs> and like trips and experiences and like the intensity of those connections is because it's almost like you've got to turn the volume up on that in yeah. order to hear it on the other side of the glass because it's so isolating because I mean cancer is so eclipsing I think it frankly has nothing to do with who I really am and yet is defining almost everything and yeah. so it's defining how people relate to me. It's defining like the amount of time I spent in the, a week in the hospital. So it was, it felt I needed the like big, bold life and people to try to like chip their way through to reach me because everything about my experience really made me feel alone. Can you tell me about, I just kind of picture you in your daily life, mm-hmm. like grocery shopping yep. or doing laundry yep. and like, this kind of continues to invade your thoughts, maybe against your will. Like, have you developed practices or tools for keeping these thoughts from consuming you? Yes, totally. I, I have rules. What are they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have rules. And, like, it went from being, like, I'm just a regular academic who has <laughs> dreams of, like, living in my neo-Gothic tower with my many, <laughs> my, my many graduate students who all adore me. And I had, like, my dream was really just like a purely academic one and then I like take a bunch of trips and also my French is amazing and then I like eat baguettes in Paris and like I had this whole sort of like backstory for myself as a fancy person my French isn't great so it was like a a long ways going (laughs) 
And yeah, so I had this like life before and then all of a sudden the life after is one in which, you know, I go from being someone with no cancer diet, like in my family, to suddenly yeah. having a stage four cancer diagnosis and, and having a little, little kid and mm. a husband who has never lived without me. Like, I mean, not just like mm. because we've been married, but like, but because... I mean, the moment where you start having your own thoughts, probably around 14, <laughs> like that you could remember yeah. independently, like that's when we met. So like we don't yeah. have a life apart from each other. And so oh everything gosh. that's defined us is now being invaded by this horrible, terrible news that we don't even know how to fully express to each other. So like we came up with rules really quickly. And rule number one was you cannot talk about really sad things when you are sleepy. Because you are too dumb. You are too dumb <laughs> yeah. to like to know to make good choices for yourself. So I almost treat myself like I'm drunk, you know. So I cannot have important conversations before nine AM or after it honestly it usually became after six PM. Because otherwise yeah. just one small thought would like blow me over. So right. I'm not myself, I decided. I, I'm trying to define myself the way I am at 2 p.m. <laughs> like someone with reasonable <laughs> thoughts, like not totally, you know, um, able to negotiate. Because it's because it's hard to find agency, right, when you're defined yeah. by other things. And then you yeah. have to imagine, like, who am I in this? And I try to imagine my 2 p.m. self. I had to make the world really small and really gentle. So I stayed at home a lot. And I did a lot of, like, intense like cuddling and holding warm beverages and mm. I only watch shows that are funny or that help me understand myself but I don't just watch like sadness porn you know like I mm -hmm. cannot watch this is us I understand it's very sad yeah my life is already too meaningful no thank you <laughs> so like <laughs> so no sadness porn number three is like don't talk about my issues casually like I talk about it to try to get to something true but if I'm just mm -hmm. talking about it because someone wants information or is curious, no way. Like, that's just me hemorrhaging energy into the world. And I actually need it to, like, you know, be, to, like, still be a friend. Because the other bit is that pain makes you super narcissistic. Like, oh, did you, yes, but what about me and my terrible problem? <laughs> so if I'm going to not be narcissistic, I need to have all parts of the day that are actually carved out to have other independent thoughts of this insane problem. Hmm. I mean, yeah, just those those sound like really healthy boundaries that <laughs> are really necessary in a time like this. I wanted to talk about your relationship with your husband. Sure. What was your relationship with your husband like before and after your diagnosis? Before the diagnosis, we were both on the the expansion plan of life you know, like everything was like I don't know everything was going to get bigger I guess in the next okay. decade I think that's what we thought like we would get another car and we would get a bigger house and we would have another kid and like everything was bigger and better bigger and better and hmm. then after the diagnosis everything just shrank like I mean in the first couple of weeks uh we were contemplating bankruptcy because of how much the treatment was going to cost. And I realized that every person who loved me had appraised their home and were mm. going to figure out how much they could get to pay for, like, propping up my experimental treatments. And so, like, almost immediately, it, there was, like, a formation toward fear 
and towards smallness because it felt more stable because we were absolutely terrified. Yeah. And it's like taken me a while to realize how afraid we were and are, I guess, because mm-hmm. like we got really kind of small. Some of that was good because we got really gentle with each other. We got mm-hmm. really like extra loving, but we also got more careful. You got more romantic too, right? What did that look like? Oh man, we, I'm because partly like in the silence, because sometimes after a bad diagnosis, there's not a lot to say. You can't mm. say like, you, you run out of those conversations where you say, what if? Yeah. And then I just looked at him and I realized, oh my word, like you are my plot line. You are my mm. main character. I think I always knew that before, but like you are the storyline of my life. And and you've been there since the beginning and you're going to be there till the end. And I just thought, I thought like, oh my gosh. And like how lucky that you are so handsome. (laughs) (laughs) It was so funny because, because in all the silence, it was just really gentle. So we would like, we would sit up like up on our bed in the loft for hours, just like lying there in the crook of his arm. And Hmm. And just, like, because each other's bodies just become your home. Like, mm-hmm. lying there with your, like, you can hear their heart beating. And just letting yeah. the silence to be the most comforting thing on the planet. That was that was the most restful I have felt in years. You've spoken a lot about how when, like, a big terrible thing happens, like cancer, yeah. it splits your life into this stark before and after. Yeah. And I can see why some people might assume that the before is just astoundingly better than the after. What has really been amazing about your story is how it speaks volumes to all of the beauty that is possible Mm. in the after. And I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for sharing that beauty with us today. Thank you for being on the show, Kate. Aw, thanks so much for having me. That was my interview with Kate Bowler. Now it's that time where we bring in Kaleidoscope's co-founder and pastor-in-residence, Aaron James Brown. Oh, hello. Hey. So, Aaron. So. What were your main takeaways? I really love the part where Kate talked about what it means to be present with other people experiencing trauma. Yeah, and I know you have had a lot of experience working with people dealing with trauma as a hospital chaplain. Right. What did that entail? As a hospital chaplain, there's this theory of presence as midwifery. And that means a traumatized person already knows what they're experiencing. They already have all the questions and all of the answers within themselves. So you don't need to prod into their life. Mm -hmm. Instead, you need to be present to allow them to work through their honest feelings. You give space for the traumatized person to give birth to their emotional response to the situation. Oh, that's so interesting. Say more. What does that look like? If you were to offer space for that, you would need to be comfortable with silence and tears. Mm. Not like your own tears, but you indicate with your body posture that you're not in a rush to go anywhere, that there's enough time to move the conversation along. You're simply there to hear their thought process. Hmm. And then you also have to do the hard part, which is managing your own anxiety. When you're with a person, you have to try to not act like anything else is going on. Mm -hmm. And the person is probably already experiencing enough fear and anxiety to fill a whole room. So you don't have to feel like you have to feel anxious. In fact, it's 
like quite presumptuous to assume that you should feel anxious on behalf of them because this traumatic event is not happening to you. At that moment, you don't get to own the stress and fear of the situation. You have to honor the other person's agency and choose a peaceful presence. Hmm. And so you do that by choosing to relax your body and your brain and allowing that space for the person to give birth to what they're feeling. Yeah, and I totally see how this plays out in Kate's experience. Like, you could really hear that Kate appreciated the friends who were present for her in really practical ways. Yeah. So, like, the slap bracelet. Right. The trash TV recommendations. Yeah, yeah. The wine. All, all the wine always. <laughs> so much wine. And what she didn't appreciate was speculation on why mm. this terrible thing had happened to her mm -hmm. or advice on which essential oils to use. Right. Ugh. And what she said really reminds me of this super helpful LA Times article I read years ago about how not to say the wrong thing during a crisis. Mm. Yeah. So it was written by Susan Silk and Barry Goldman, and they framed their advice in what they call the ring theory. Uh, is that a horror movie? <laughs> it sounds like a horror movie, but it's actually this framework that has totally changed the way I think about crisis. Okay. So let me try to explain it to you. Okay. So I want you to picture a piece of paper, mm -hmm. draw a circle in the middle of the paper. Okay. And, you know, if you're thinking about some trauma that someone is going through, write the name of the person at the center of the trauma in that circle. Okay. And then draw a bigger circle around that circle. And mm -hmm. in that ring, write the name of the person next closest to the center of the trauma. Uh -huh. And then okay. draw another circle and another circle. And keep doing that. As you move out from the center, the names in those rings are the people who are further and further away from the center of the trauma. Yeah, yeah. Right? And then think about where you are in this situation. Uh -huh. Wh which ring do you sit on? And now, when you think about that, that will help you position yourself to provide comfort to the people who are closer to the center of the trauma oh, who are on the yeah. inner rings and then you can process your emotions with people who are further from the center of the trauma people on the outer rings yeah i love that visualization isn't that great and yeah. i think like what is underlying all of this is what kate reminds us of and that is to know the person's love language so when you are comforting yes. in yeah. Know their love language, whether it's wine or humor or acts of service. Know what that is and then speak it and show it. And, you know, if you have to process your own feelings, that is totally valid. You can do that. Right. Just don't do it with the person at the center of the trauma. Do it with Amen. someone further away. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah. There are so many practical ways to be present with other people. I also like to think about the economics of the conversation. Mm, like, I like that. Tell me more about that. So you should think that the other person who is experiencing a traumatic event, give them 85% of the conversation. Hmm, they okay. get to speak and own all of that. And 15% of the conversation is just you. So you should be listening more than you speak. And when you do speak, avoid asking questions. And don't seek clarification about diagnosis or tests because you aren't even going to understand that anyway. <laughs> it doesn't really matter. True, true. Just trust what they tell you. Yeah. And then maybe on your way to visit with them, practice the things you want to say. Really simple, easy things to say like, that sucks, or I don't know, or you are not a burden. Hmm. And then offer to do things like go for a walk or bring some chocolate or watch their favorite movie, <laughs> text recommendations of Netflix terrible TV shows. Yes. <laughs> right. 
But at the end, always, always, always thank the person for allowing you to bear witness to their pain and for spending time with them. Yes, to all of the above, especially the chocolate. Mm, Yes. (laughs) Oh, that's my love language. Chocolate? Yes, that's my love (laughs) language. What's your love language, Erin? Affirmation. Like, if I'm having a rough day, I just want you to text me, you are strong, you are confident, and you are beautiful, and then I'll, like, go (laughs) tackle the world. It's great. Oh, that's amazing. (laughs) Oh, as always, Erin, it's so great to have you on the show. Oh, thank you. Before I let you go, I just want to let you know that Mm -hmm. you're strong, (laughs) you're confident, (laughs) you're beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Here's a piece of chocolate. Oh, love language (laughs) all around. There you have it. Pastor in Resonance with Aaron James Brown. I'll see you next episode. See you soon. Thanks so much for listening to Kaleidoscope. Join us again next week for another installment of Kaleidoscope's advice column, hashtag help. Kate will be back to answer some really difficult questions. They're about how to survive and move forward when life falls apart. Special thanks to our listeners who wrote in with questions that are so real and so important. It's going to get heavy, but you won't want to miss Kate's advice. Somehow, in her own unique Kate way, she blends empathy, humor, and concrete guidance on how to face life's toughest challenges. That's it for this episode. Kaleidoscope is produced by Annie Nguyen with amazing support by co-founder Aaron James Brown. Special thanks to Dennis Funk. I'm your host, Deborah Jian Lee. You can find out more about the show at kscopepod.com. Our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram are all at kscopepod. Thanks to the BTS Center for funding season one. If you're into the show, please consider supporting us. Our Patreon account is kscopepod. Or use a Radio Public app where we get some coins for each listen. All right, I'll see you next episode. In the meantime... Let the world see you. When they do, they'll never be the same. Oh, hey again. Quick reminder. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We're going to start featuring reviews on the show. Here's a snippet from the user ETC1401. Five stars. I love this podcast. (laughs) That's right. Leave us a review and my little one might read it for the show. I I can't do that because I'm busy. (laughs) You're busy. (laughs) Are you working? Busy working? Yeah, right there. Okay. I will see if I can persuade him to come back. Until next time. 